Hello, how you doing? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 22 of Be Bougie, Be True, Be You. I'm Charlotte Jones. 222 is actually my lucky number. I just realised as I was saying that. Also, what is today's date? Okay, so it's the 13th of October today and I officially started listening to Christmas music. I didn't know whether to admit it out loud. I didn't know, but I have. Just for an hour... And I'm not going to overkill it. I won't do it again for a while now. But I couldn't help myself. Working from home just needed a little bit of a bit of distraction, a bit of fun. And I put on an amazing Christmas playlist I made last year. And I can't lie, it made me very happy. And I started making Christmas plans. But that's it. I'm not organised. Like, I haven't done my Christmas shopping or anything like that. I haven't even thought about Christmas shopping, to be honest. <clears throat> but see, look, I'm as... As much as I love Christmas, the thought of Christmas shocking, my body just went into a bit of shock there, clearly. Anyway, I will stop the Christmas talk before you literally want to turn me off because you're thinking, why? It's October. We haven't even had Halloween. I know, but that's because I'm not really fussed about Halloween. So moving on now to this week's episode, I caught up with David Pope, who is a private counsellor. David has struggled with depression, anxiety and suicidal ideation for most of his life, and his battles with mental illness began at just six years old. He was relentlessly bullied throughout primary and secondary school and suffered a double bereavement when he was 25, losing both his parents within a year of each other. His constant battles with depression and anxiety fueled his quest to find daily coping mechanisms and strategies to combat his mental illness. He subsequently became a private counsellor specialising in bereavement, depression and anxiety, and he currently counsels clients over Zoom and face-to-face. David is passionate about sharing physical and cognitive techniques to deal with mental illness and launched an online video course called Depression, A New Hope. He has also launched a guided meditation podcast and you can find all of this on his website at healyourgrief.co.uk. I spoke to David about different coping mechanisms that you can use when you start to notice that grief is affecting your mental health and your mental well-being because grief can hit us in all sorts of ways and sometimes we have absolutely no idea what to do with it. So let's start this week's episode. You're listening to Be Bougie, Be True, Be You with Charlotte Jones, the podcast to chat about a little bit of anything and everything. Welcome, David Pope. Hello, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Yes, I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for joining me because I am really interested to talk to you about all things to do with coping strategies when it comes to dealing with our mental health when we're experiencing grief because this is something that I have been experiencing on and off since childhood but it's only in recent years that I've learned how much grief really can impact our mental health. So tell us what do you do? How, how did you fall into what you do now? Sure. So I'm a private counsellor and I specialise in bereavement, anxiety, depression, mental illness and came about because I suffered a bereavement at the age of 25, double bereavement. I lost both my parents within 
more or less a year of each other. So that kind of started that sort of that journey. Yeah, and I you know, spent many many years coming obsessed with coping mechanisms both cognitively and physically um, to try and deal with not only my grief but also to deal with my mental illness struggles because I'd struggled with depression from pretty much the age of about six. So those coping mechanisms were pretty much necessary to just survive. I'm so sorry to hear that and actually where you said that you suffered with depression from the age of six as a child that must have been so so hard to even understand what was happening to yourself at that time but because of that when you did very you know unfortunately experience the passing of both of your parents did you have any form of coping strategies in place because of what you'd been through in your early childhood well this is what's really interesting is that when I look back on my life I don't know how I got through everything I experienced because I didn't have any coping strategies so I was pretty much trying to deal with the sense of isolation and the depression and then later on the grief without any tools, which is just flabbergasting because with all the tools that I have even today, sometimes life is still challenging, very, very challenging because depression doesn't disappear. You know, it's something that you have to manage. Same with anxiety, same with grief. So it does really... It does flabbergast me how I, how I got through that time. I can imagine. Uh, what were the first signs that you became aware of that the grief that you were going through and obviously the depression for such a long time was really starting to affect your mental health? I just remember, especially at primary school, just feeling very alone. There was no rhyme or reason. I had a great upbringing, had fantastic parents, great sisters. So everything was functional. But for some reason, I wasn't. Something wasn't quite right. You know, I just feel this this deep sense of isolation, even at that kind of young age. So teachers would often pull me aside and say, you know, what's wrong? Or you look so alone, all the rest of it. And that kind of exacerbated that sense of isolation. So I've drifted off onto a tangent, so I often do that. But uh, I, did I answer your question or not? <laughs> no, you did. You answered the question uh, lovely. You answered it really well. Um, it was So you said about the sense of isolation, but what I found going through grief at a young age is that any feeling that you get, you almost just interpret it as normal. So you don't necessarily think that anything is wrong, would you say? You kind of just think this is how life is. Well, when I when both my parents passed, I was at a point where this was like make or break, this was live or die, because I was at such a point of desperation that um, I didn't quite know if I wanted to go on, to be honest, because everything that I valued in life had been taken away from me. You know, my parents were my whole world. But, you know, often necessity sort of creates that, that sort of intention to, to as I say, to carry on in life and uh, I, I seeked bereavement counselling to, uh, to cope with, with my bereavement and I don't know what quite motivated me to do that. I didn't really have much knowledge about counselling at the time so it was almost like it was just a calling to just get help and I did it and thank God and um, I had two years of therapy, grief therapy and she saved my life, literally saved my life. So, That's incredible. And I'm so pleased that you, like you said, you don't know why, but something made you 
just know that you had to go and get that help. But before you did, when it came to your relationships, as you said, you know, your, your parents were your whole world. How did that affect how you handled relationships with others, such as your sisters, your friends, any romantic partnerships you may have had? My dad was an amazing man. So his values, his principles, his morals, he was loved by everybody. And I'd like to think that his values passed down to me. I'd like to think. Obviously, that's for someone else to say. <laughs> but, um, and I think that's the foundation of how we relate to one another is what is our what has been our experience what has been our who have been our role models who who has influenced in life influenced us in life and i was brought up to respect people i was brought up to i suppose be a good listener to be there for people to be supportive to be a good brother to be a good person to be a good parent to be a good partner so i'd like to think all that was the case my mum you know she was the sweetest person and she was a very nurturing person. And, you know, I, I, I grew up surrounded by women. I had uh, two sisters, uh, nieces, so very, very influenced by women. So I can only perceive that as a, very, as a major positive in, in my life. Oh, that's, that's really lovely to hear, especially the way that you speak about your parents and the fact that you are able to speak about them because I lost my father when I was seven and... I actually couldn't talk about him for a very long time. It's something my mum always says for years. Apparently, if he would come up in conversation, I I would change the subject. And I think that's really lovely that you, that although you've been through this awful thing, you are still able to be so open in the way that you speak about them. And where you were talking about the values that you you inherited from your father, going through that immediate impact of grief, was it harder maybe to uphold those values at times, would you say? Or were you able to, were they that instilled in you? You know, for the first year, I was just a mess. So for the first year, I was a wreck, a literal, literally a wreck. I, you know, it was, as, it was almost as if I was in some sort of surreal la-la land. You know, every day just didn't seem real to me because I, I couldn't quite take in what had happened. As time went on, and the I sort of started slowly changing my relationship to the pain, to the grief, to the suffering, I suppose I started to claw back some of my identity. Because when I lost my parents, my identity vanished. I didn't know who I was anymore. And I suppose as time went on, and as I had the therapy, and as I started to learn and discover coping mechanisms, I started to discover myself again. And as I discovered myself again, I started becoming sort of semi-normal. But it's a really long process. I mean, it takes mm. time. It takes time. I think that's really important to remember when it comes to grief, however it impacts you in whatever way. You cannot put pressure on yourself to rush through this. And as much as we want to, because sometimes it's so uncomfortable and it's so painful, we, we almost have to teach ourselves to sit in that pain for as long as we need to until we can process what has happened. When you went to your grief counselling, what particular coping, me uh, sorry, coping mechanisms were you taught that really helped you start to get your identity back, as you said? It was a long time ago, so I'm of the opinion that a lot of the coping mechanisms and strategies and techniques that I've learnt have probably been learnt sort of a little bit later on. Okay. I feel that those two years spent were just breaking down I mean I did a lot of breaking down I did a lot of 
a lot of uh, crying, sobbing uncontrollably. Um, but um, after I would do that, we would then sort of, you know, resume whatever conversation we were in the middle of. So it was almost like she was navigating my grief. Right. She was carrying my grief. She was holding my grief. And that's really all a bereavement counsellor um, can do if it's very, very raw. If the grief is very, very raw and in very early stages, that's all you can really do. You can't start um, you know, talking about, right, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. And if you do this, then you know, that doesn't work because you know, you're, just, you're a complete mess in the early stages. So I think it was just a lot of very... She was extremely nurturing and extremely compassionate and very soothing voice and just the combination of those qualities, that's, that's what got me through. And a very good listener. I mean, I, I've been in and out of therapy for most of my life, but a lot of that has got to do with my job. So part of my job is I need to be under supervision. So I've, I've had a lot of therapy and I've come across a lot of different therapists over the years. And it's, it is a challenge to find the right one. It really is. I, I've had therapists that I haven't quite connected with and that I haven't felt comfortable opening up to. There hasn't been that chemistry. And the chemistry is pivotal. It's absolutely crucial in the therapist-client relationship. So I think the main thing to surmise out of my relationship with the, this counsellor was just the, the connection. That's really interesting. And from what you were saying, that in that in those really raw stages at the beginning, you would feel so heavy. It's almost like you said she's carrying some of that weight for you. So although really there isn't much else in those stages that somebody can do to hold that weight just makes you feel a little bit lighter and like you can move a little bit more. Does that make sense, would you say? Absolutely. And there are different approaches to different stages of grief and to the different, what I call, grief conditions. So there are so many different types of grief story. So, for instance, somebody who's lost a loved one, but there were issues within the relationship, there might be, uh, in that instance, a real struggle to grieve. So that has its own challenges. Then you have somebody who maybe is going through a very complex grief because they've, after five, six, seven years, all of a sudden just break down and they've, their grief just hits them like a ton of bricks because they weren't able to grieve during that period and there could be a myriad of reasons for that. So there's all these different grief journeys and whatever grief journey you're on, you have to find... Um, a therapist that's going to have a real understanding of your specific grief journey because they are so unique. I think that is so, again, so fascinating because I I definitely think that I didn't grieve as a child and I actually started therapy around my first ever counselling session was when I was maybe around 21. So that's quite a few years later. It was over 10 years later. And I still didn't quite connect the dots as to what was really going on with me. It was was down to the fact I hadn't grieved yet then I went away again for a couple more years and it was really I would say around the age of 28 that I was able to face my grief from the age of seven and I think again 
it's very important for people to hear that because like you said grief doesn't follow a set narrative grief will hit you it might hit you straight away it might not and there are so many different angles and I want to go back to what you were talking about with the chemistry and when you are with a counsellor that maybe is not right for you and I think that can be hard for people to tell if you're not used to going to therapy so if this is something that's a completely new thing and obviously every counsellor will have their way of working so you're going to more or less put your trust in them but how can somebody know that maybe the chemistry isn't right between them and their counsellor or their therapist? Well I mean I've had occasions where I have seen two or three different counsellors to find the right one. What's really good now is that many counsellors will say to you let's have an initial chat, let's have an initial session Let's see, you know, I mean, they obviously will be phrased slightly differently, but it, it's to see if you click. It's to yeah. see if, you know, there is that connection. And the thing is, is that it's going to be hard for therapy to be successful unless there is that connection, because if mm-hmm. the connection's not there, then uh, you're going to be loath to being really honest and really open up. And if, if that really needs to happen for progress to be made. But I would say because, you know, very often an initial chat is offered, you know, for free, it gives you the, the opportunity to, to speak to two or three, you know, different, different counsellors and see, you know, who you get on with. And what I come across so frequently is that people I've, I've, I've seen, they, they settle. So they'll see somebody and they'll feel obliged yeah. to see that person and stick with that therapist. And a year goes by and they come to regret it because either they didn't have the, they, they felt uncomfortable sort of communicating with a therapist that they just didn't feel it, or they feel guilty. Some people feel guilty for, you know, saying, listen, this isn't working. So there are, there are, there are different reasons why people stick with a therapist when it's just that they could be getting a lot more out, you know, with, with somebody else. So, but again, that comes back to your feelings of self-worth and showing up for yourself that if you have that sense of worth, you, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to yourself to find the right person. I completely agree. And I, I, it's interesting as well because they can be perfectly lovely. And I think if you're a people pleaser, it's important to remember that a therapist or a counsellor will not take it personally if you decide they're not a fit. They are used to that. That will happen on multiple occasions because, and they will only want to work with you if they know that they're going to give you the most that they can as well. So it's important to be honest about that. And I had a counsellor, my first proper experience of private counselling, who was lovely and I think I did see her for up to two years and the only thing I felt though is I think because I had such a block on my grief I could have maybe done with being pushed more but I used to enjoy her company and I used to enjoy what we were trying but nothing ever seemed to quite click and I think deep down I should have realized that maybe I needed someone that was a little bit more tough love with me maybe just to try and get me over those hurdles that I wasn't quite able to find but I but again because I can be a bit of a people pleaser I I didn't listen to that so that could have been why it took me that much longer so it is very important to think if there's something you're noticing that you need to change act on it don't just don't be polite you know no well obviously be polite but don't you know just be too nice and think that you can't 
you can't change and move on and and see somebody else because no I've never heard anybody talk about that before when it comes to therapy and I think because although we are far more open about therapy now and it's 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 there are more open conversations and people know that it's not necessarily such a big deal to go it's actually really healthy to go and have these conversations it's also important to know what therapy can be like because if you haven't been it can seem really daunting and and I think that that was some really useful tips so thank you how quickly do you think that you started to feel an improvement in your first round of having therapy to deal with your grief when I look back I, I think that the fact that I saw her for two years suggests that I probably needed two years worth of therapy so I very much doubt for instance after a year or after six months or after a year and a half I felt that oh I'm done and I'm, I'm okay now so I obviously needed that therapy I needed those two years and I seem to remember that it came to a very sort of organic and smooth closure so it felt right. Uh, I felt as though, you know, I'd done a tremendous amount of healing. And, it, yeah, I just felt the right thing to do. And uh, I was very, very mindful that, you know, I was going to see, see it through until I came to a point where I, I knew I could, I could move on and uh, sort of resume some sort of normality. So I, I think... I think the two years was, was probably the perfect duration for me. That's really good to know. And how can somebody... So, for example, I think for me, when in that first time round, the reason I knew I needed... or not that I needed, but that it was coming to that natural end is when I used to first go... I would go weekly and by the time the following week would come round I know I'd have so many things stored up in my head of I want to talk about this this and this and I, it would almost be like a I'd write a list down and then as the time went on I noticed I was almost forgetting that I had an appointment coming up and then I realized I thought oh actually maybe this is because I'm at the point where I've done what I need to do here but are there any other signs that people can be aware of that maybe actually the counseling or the therapy has done its job and it's time to to move on what's interesting is that very often when I begin a session with somebody, they will have a number of things that they want to communicate, talk about. And I do a lot of preparation. I do a tremendous amount of preparation. So before the session, I will have so many different notes and different things that I want to explore with the client and lots of different you know, topics to discuss. But on so many occasions, we don't even get onto those because... Mm-hmm the person I'm speaking to has so much that they want to give vent to and before you know it the hour's up and that happens a lot so I think when you, after a while though after how many sessions you have you get to a point where that that happens less frequently so the client will be sort of more at ease and uh, I mean depending on what they're you know depending on what their issues are. Like I said, with, with grief, there are different modalities and different techniques and strategies for different stages of grief and for different grief stories. You know, if somebody has got something called complicated grief where they've lost a loved one under unusually tragic circumstances, they're going to be stuck. They're going to be stuck 
with certain emotions which can't they can't shift even after a prolonged period of time where somebody else would have shifted those emotions a lot quicker not because the love or the relationship was any different but just because of the circumstances surrounding the loss in those kind of situations there are different mechanisms to to deal with that and it can take a lot of therapy to work through that now i i don't think there's a sort of hard and fast rule as to when do you know that you've had enough therapy when do you know that uh, you know you can sort of move on without therapy i think it really depends on i think a lot depends on the person and for instance if i'm if i'm treating someone with depression there are a ton of things that you can do to help yourself and there are a ton of things that you can really change change your life drastically with but you've got to do them that's the thing and if you are able to force yourself to do these things that are going to help you your recovery is going to be a lot quicker so i just think it depends on so many different contributory factors as a general rule i think you just feel it i think you just you get to a point where you think you know what i i'm in a very different place now yes i think two things that are really important from what you said there is one you've got to do the work as well. It's all well and good going to therapy, but the therapist cannot change it for you. They are there to support you and guide you, but you have to action that work. And therapy's only going to go so far if you're putting all of the responsibility on the therapist. And I think also something else I got from what you said there is it's okay to finish therapy for a while, but realise, actually, I need to go back. There's something else that's come up. I think People assume, and I've done this myself, you think, I've done therapy once, I've done that now, I've ticked that box, and then sometimes it's like, no, actually, I need support with maybe a completely different area. Maybe the grief has caused something in a romantic relationship or something like that, and some people think, I've done four sessions or I've done two months and and that will be it, and it's like, it's okay, it's not a failure if you think that you have to go back or something else has, has come up. I think therapy is all about, as we learn and grow through life, we will learn more about ourselves and sometimes we need some support to deal with whatever we learn and we might learn something at 50 we might learn something at 60 and whatever age no matter how many times you've been that's okay there's nothing wrong with with going back would you say human beings are very complex <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. as i said i i've been in and out of therapy for most of my adult life and that's because you know, life is challenging. Mental illness is challenging and grief is challenging. And there's so many different facets to mental illness and to grief. And, and there's so much to learn. There's so much to learn. I mean, you know, it would probably take me a year to talk about everything I've learned to do with mental illness and grief. It, it, it's such a, it's such a minefield. And as I said, there are so many, everyone's journey is so unique. Like somebody can have clinical depression, another person can have a depression that's been sort of uh, clearly genetically linked throughout the family, which you know you would treat very differently. You have people who, whose depression has been uh, brought on by set things that have happened in their life, past traumas. So even though sort of depression is depression, but it's not. There are so many different types of challenges within depression. 
that that's why, in my opinion, you can never have enough therapy because, and also what you get out of one therapist, you can you can learn so much from different therapists. But look, no one no one wants to spend their whole life in therapy. Obviously, that's it's not the most practical and very very costly as well. But I, I've learnt such different approaches and strategies from from the different therapists I've seen, just because the approaches are, are so, so, there's such a variety of, of approaches. What key things have you learned when it comes to coping mechanisms for grief and your mental well-being that you implement with your clients now? Well, again, it depends what stage of their, of their, their grief journey they're on, but um, generally in the early stages, um, it's a question of allowing in self-compassion. So... What's very, very common is that we use guilt as a coping mechanism to process what's happened. What I hear quite frequently is, I could have saved them. I should have done this. I should have done that. Why didn't I save my mom or my dad or my sister or my brother? So that's very, very common. So one of the coping mechanisms to deal with those feelings of guilt is, first of all, Let's identify it. Let's break it down. The second thing to do is to try and let go of the the intensity surrounding the guilt because the guilt is actually needed. You need to feel that guilt because it's, it's part of the grief process. The anger and the guilt and all the physical, you know, traumatic reactions you go through, they're the body's protection mechanism it's the way of the body processing the grief even though you know some people might view guilt as a bad thing you need it because it's your way of making sense of what's happened and eventually what you do is you start rationalizing the guilt so you get to a point where you say actually do you know what there's nothing i could have done i can't change the past i really want to change the past but i can't and with that comes that sort of reluctant acceptance that I've, I've got to surrender to this because I have no choice. And it's a long journey and it's very painful, but that is sort of the end goal with someone who's grieving. But I'm talking about you know, what I would classify as uh, a, a sort of a grief journey that I would say is the most common in terms of you know, you lose you lose your folks that uh, they've lived to a good age, etc. There's a good relationship. So I'm talking about a sort of uncomplicated grief, but we're we're assuming that there there are no complexities within the grief. Very often there can be. And that will and then obviously the therapy will depend entirely on on the situation of what someone's been through. But I think it's so important to. I, I can't advocate enough, ad, sorry, advocate, is that the right word? Advocate enough, yeah, that um, that therapy for, for grief in particular, because grief is something that can be so hard to comprehend and understand. And some people are very fortunate that they don't experience it until much older, like sort of in their 30s or 40s. And then you, but it's almost, I think, more of a shock because you really don't know what to do with it because you've lived like quite a comfortable, safe life in that sense. You've never had those feelings of worry or anxiety around it. And I think it's so important to get that support from somebody that knows 
how to support you going through grief. What three things would you like to tell your younger self when it comes to grief and our mental health? I suppose the first thing I would say is that you're going to get through this, that it's going to be an arduous, painful journey, but you're going to come out the other side. You're going to come through the grief. So the grief is not going to expire and the grief doesn't have a time limit, but you're going to change your relationship to the pain. The second thing I would say is that, I mean, if I was talking to my younger self, I would say, I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to be your rock. And the third thing I would say is, it's okay to feel whatever you need to feel. And if you feel nothing, that's also okay. Because very often, people feel, they they beat themselves up for not feeling, for not Mm -hmm. grieving. There's no grief rulebook. I think it's because it's important to remember that shock can can do all sorts of things to our nervous system, which can make us feel feel numb. And like you say, feel nothing. And and I think that was really, really good advice to whatever the feeling is, the feeling is okay. It's safe to feel that feeling. Thank you so much for everything that you you've, you've been so vulnerable today and you've been so open. And I really appreciate you sharing your your personal story with me. Where can we find you on social media? If somebody wants to learn more about what you do or get in touch with you, how can they do that? Sure. So my website is healyourgrief.co.uk and my Instagram is um, Instagram. uh, I always get mixed up, forward slash healyourgrief. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. And what I'll also do is I will put a link to your Instagram page and your website on the description of this episode so people can click the link there and go directly to you. But again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it.